Okay, I'm going to say the same thing probably a hundred times today, so you'll get, get it in your system, so you'll have to forgive me, but don't ignore me. Happy Rosh Kodesh Elul. Elul. Okay? Today begins the rest of your life. And I want to begin with this phrase that some of you may recognize, Ani Ladodi. What in the world is that? Okay, it's, it's Hebrew, and it's from the Song of Songs, 6-3, okay? It says, I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine, or I am to my beloved, and my beloved is to me, okay? And so, what does this have to do with Elul? And the time we're entering into. Does anybody know? The word Elul, I wish I had made a slide so you could see it, is made up of four Hebrew letters. Aleph, Lamed, Vav, Lamed. Okay, those four Hebrew letters. And this, the sages tell us, our sages tell us that this is an acronym. This month that we're entering into, because it's so special, Hashem encoded a little love letter to us in this. And that is Aleph Ani, Lamed Ladodi, Vav um, Vadodi, and then Lamed Li. Ani Ladodi Vadodi Li. Okay, I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. This is an exciting, exciting time of the year. A lot of people see it as a difficult time of the year. We have the high holy days coming up, and there's a lot of stuff that goes into that. There's a lot of prep work, there's a lot of soul searching, and there's a lot of sometimes fear and trepidation going into this, but I want to, us to approach it in a little bit different way. I want us to look at this time primarily in the context of what we've been hitting on the theme-wise of the king is in the field, okay? And the title of my message today is Come Away my beloved, okay? And you'll notice um, that last song that we did, Oh, How He Loves Us, you know? I got a little choked up on that because of the, the, what Hashem is doing and He wants to do in and through us. And so let me just begin to break down some of this for you. The word Elul, as we said, is an acrostic formed of these four Hebrew words from the Song of Songs. <clears throat> and how appropriate are these words? Uh, so it is, for the days of the month of Elul are days of repentance. Does anybody know, and this is where I think maybe some of the breakdown is, what is the Hebrew word for repentance? Teshuva, okay? Teshuva, repentance. But what does it mean? Does it mean to ask for forgiveness? Does it mean to confess? What does it mean? What's the literal meaning? To turn around. So if I'm walking this way and I'm about to go off this cliff, I turn around and walk the other direction. I, I go the opposite direction of where I'm headed. But it also has another implication. It means to return, okay? And so how are we to return? When we walk away from Hashem's instructions, we have to return and walk to them. We have to go from the direction that we're headed on our own path to return and head the direction that He desires of us to go. <clears throat> they are days of compassion and grace. Uh, 
days of love, days of intimacy. So say many early and late sages and scribes of blessed memory in their books. If we repent, the Holy One blesses He, satiates, satiates us with grace. If a man declares, I am my beloved's, it is certain that God will likewise respond, and my beloved is mine. Okay, think about that. If we say, I am my beloved's, I belong to him, he's going to turn around and respond and say, he belongs to me, or I am to him. Okay, this is a quote. This is a quote from a rabbi of the 19th century, and somebody that you may not know, and I'm not going to spend any time on him, but he goes by the title of Theophilus Lucky. Have you heard of him? Okay, this is one of our own. He is a, um, a pioneer in Messianic Judaism, and he was a, a rabbi <clears throat> that came to faith in Yeshua and, and brought some amazing um, insights into the New Testament for us, the Apostolic Scriptures, <clears throat> and this quote I really appreciate by him because he knows this concept of Hashem drawing close to his people during this month. So Elul begins the 40 days of teshuva, of repentance. Okay, why 40 days? Well, how do we do this? So the first of Elul begins the count. The first of Elul, Elul is how long? 30 days, okay? And we have 30 days of Elul, and then we have Rosh Hashanah on the first of Tishrei, and then we have 10 more days until Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, Okay? And so we have these 40 days that we are um, working to draw as close to Hashem as we can. Then we have the, as I think that's what you were saying, Steve, is the um, t- 10 days of repentance. And we have the um, Yamim Norim, right? We have the, the days of, of, of awe within those. <clears throat> so <clears throat> what happened on Elul the first? I mean, we are, we are entering into Elul the first tonight. And so if we think about how we can connect our present to the past, it can determine our future. So Elul the first, the tradition says that Moshe, Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, our teacher, he ascended Mount Sinai to receive the second set of tablets. Remember, the first one had a little accident, right? <clears throat> and so... Um, there was some lost his footing or something. I don't remember exactly what happened. but um, And, uh, you know, the first ta- set of tablets were destroyed, but Hashem was loving enough and kind enough to give us a second set of commandments on those tablets. So Moses ascended Mount Sinai on the first of Elul. When did he come down? He came down 40 days later. And what did we say 40 days from the first of the law was Yom Kippur, okay? And so on the day of judgment that we consider somewhat dreadful, it's also a day of mercy. It's a day of grace. It's a day of compassion and love. And during this time, Hashem also, remember, He hid Moshe in the cleft of the rock so He could reveal a portion of His glory to him. And within that, if you want to read it, Exodus 34 He reveals to him not only a portion of his existence, his being, his presence, but he reveals to him 13 special things. Do you remember those? 
They're called the 13 attributes of mercy of God. And so Hashem, during this whole time, we see from the beginning of Elul, these 40 days out to Yom Kippur, He's revealing Himself as a God of love, a God of compassion, a God of mercy, a God of grace. There are three major themes of Elul. We've already covered one. It's teshuva, repentance, turning, returning. The second one is called malchiot, okay? This is kingship, okay? We are crowning Hashem king. Rosh Hashanah is when we actually, we, we, in, a, in some sort of symbolic, I wouldn't say symbolic even, we <clears throat> work to crown Hashem king. Because here's the deal. A king without a people is not a king, right? So we come under his kingships and submit ourselves and crown him king once again every year at this time. And the last one is shofrot, okay? Shofar, the sound, hearing the sound of the shofar. There's a tradition that begins actually um, Monday, Monday morning, after morning prayers to sound the shofar one time every single day for the next uh, 27 days, 28 days, up to the 28th of Elul, sound the shofar every single day except for Shabbat. Why do we do this? We, ah, good, good, good. It's a wake-up call. We are awakening the soul, preparing ourselves, letting ourselves be aware of what's coming up. Now, I want to take a little aside to explain this um, concept that we've been talking about, the king is in the field. This was first introduced by uh, Rabbi Schnur Zalman of Leody. He's known as the Altar Rebbe, author of the Tanya, founder of Chabad, pretty much. Um, um, and he explains the paradox of Elul with the following metaphor. So listen to this little story and see if it uh, starts ringing some bells. While I'm reading this, I'm going to go grab, I forgot to get this, my Bible. I'm going to grab this real quick <clears throat> so I can read another text to you. The king's usual place is in the capital city, in the royal palace. And anyone wishing to approach the king must go go through the appropriate channels in the palace bureaucracy and gain the approval of a succession of secretaries and ministers. Now, I'm going to pause for just a second because this is completely foreign to us. I mean, we have a little bit of a glimpse in our presidency and things like that, but we don't live in a country that's ruled by monarchy, do we? So this, a, a lot of these concepts is different. Now, somebody brought up the point the other day, we were discussing this. The difference, one of the primary differences in a, in a monarchy and uh, the system that we uh, are under in the United States <clears throat> is that you don't get to vote for the king, okay? You don't get a vote. He just is. And, but you can choose to submit to him and your life will be much better, Right? And so these things can be formed, but we, have to, we cannot put it in our modern context of, of our Republican democracy type government that we have. A republic democracy, that's what I meant to say. Um, 
He must, the person who wants to see the king, he must, he must journey to the capital and pass through the many gates, corridors, antechambers that lead to the throne room. His presentation must be meticulously prepared, and he must adhere to an exacting code of dress, speech, and mannerism upon entering into the royal palace, the royal presence. However, there are times when the king comes out to the field outside the city. At such times, anyone can approach him. The king receives them all with a smiling face and a radiant countenance. The peasant behind his plow has access to the king in a manner unavailable to the highest-ranking minister in the royal court when the king is in the palace. The month of Elul, says Rabbi Zalman, is when the king is in the field. Okay? This reminds me of a parable Yeshua taught his disciples. If you have your Bibles, would you like to read along with me? Let's open up quickly to Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 11. <clears throat> I'm not going to read this. I'm going to skip parts of it because you guys know the story. <clears throat> and he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, forgive me. Uh, excuse me, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. Okay, I think we can probably all partially identify with this at least. Okay, we've been given so much by Hashem, but <clears throat> we probably have squandered a great deal of it. So, you know the story. He goes out, he squanders, he's eating with the pigs, feeding the pigs, eating the same thing the pigs eat. And he says, you know, it's been better, it would be better to be a servant in my father's house than to live life like this. And so what does he do? He goes and he, he wants to, to make things right with his father, at least as much as he can. He knows his father is probably going to be harsh on him and not accept him back as a son, but at least he can be a servant. And so he goes back, and when he goes back, he is far away from his father's house. And what does he see? He sees his father in the field in front of the house, searching for him. And he runs to greet him, and he embraces him, okay? This is the type of father that we're talking about. This is the type of king that we're talking about. The king that, as Yeshua told the other parable, would lead uh, leave the 99 in search of the one, okay? Now, we're not all in the same spiritual place. Some of us <clears throat> are running from Hashem. Some of us are close to Hashem. Some of us are somewhere in the middle. So does this message of the king being the field have any relevance for everybody? I believe it does. The most, most of the time we hear God compared to the father, just as in this story that I told you about. God is compared to a father. And we look at him in fatherly terms. Those of us who have had, not had good fatherly experience, thank God I did, but there, I know there are among us that have not had good fatherly experiences, good experiences with their father, <clears throat> may have trouble identifying with that. <clears throat> and 
And this is why in this particular month, he reveals himself in a different way, okay? He reveals himself as a king, which he does all year long, but we recognize him as such during this month. But the other primary, primary way he introduces himself and he, he reveals himself to us is in the role of a lover, okay? And the Song of Songs is an example of Hashem's love for his people, his, his passion for his people. Um, if you haven't read the, Psalm of, uh, the Song of Songs in a while, um, I would encourage you to do so during this time. Um, if you are single, have somebody with you that can pour water on you from time to time. Um, so, because it is a, it is a passionate um, letter. Um, it's not really a letter, but it's a passionate narrative, I should say. It's a dialogue between the bride and the bridegroom and, the, and the, 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 those attending the court and, and what transpires between them. There's, there's chemistry. There's passion. There is longing, there is loving, there is desire. And it's interesting because um, Art Scroll, in, if you have an Art Scroll Tanakh, this is the, the Hebrew Scriptures, um, they do not translate it literally in the English. Okay? Um, <clears throat> it's, it's, there's... Two ways to look at that, good or bad. Um, I, I like it to a degree because it gives some insight into potentially what was going on with the actual writing of this text and why it was accepted into the scriptures, okay? Because if you just read the text um, by itself, you're like, why is this part of our holy text, right? It's like somebody's love letter got thrown in here, and, and, and we just canonized it, right? <clears throat> but the sages teach us that this, this passionate um, dialogue between Solomon and his, his bride is actually um, something very special, and it's an allegory between God and the children of Israel, okay, and the people of Israel. And as a matter of fact, it was doubtful that it was going to be in the canon of Scripture until Rabbi Akiva came, and he said, you know what? All of the songs that we have recorded in Scripture are holy, but the song of songs is the holy of holies. Okay? And it became an important thing. And so, if, if, if you just think about the title, it's called the song of songs, the song to end all songs, the song of all songs, you know? That's a pretty bold title, and that's how the, the book begins. But I want to um, quote a few passages from it to give you the idea of what's going on here and how this month and this theme of, of love and, and longing and passion should play a part in our lives and as we grow close to Hashem and recognize Him as our lover in a sense. Um, First of all, song, um, let me backtrack for just a second. There are some um, rabbinic texts looking at this. Um, this is from the Midrash on the Song of Songs. 
the line that says, open to me in Song of Songs, chapter 5, verse 2, is, is understood in such a way that God is saying to the children of Israel, make for me an opening of repentance, an opening as narrow as a point of needle, and I will make the opening so wide that camps full of soldiers and siege engines could enter it. Okay, so what is the Shem saying here in this interpretation? Saying that, you know, if you, if you would just give me a, an ounce of repentance, if you would turn towards me just a speck, I would make that something incredible. I would enlarge it and do an incredible, incredible work in your life. Okay, I would, you would give me a little crack, a little sliver in there, that door, I would open it wide, so wide that our entire armies can march through it, okay? That's the relationship that we can have. Another text in Talmud, Tractate Yoma 86a, says, Rabbi Hama, the son of Hanina, taught great is repentance, for it brings healing to the world. As this said, I will heal their affliction generously will I take them back in love, from Hosea 14.5. And then Rabbi uh, Yonatan, he chimed in saying, Great is repentance, for it brings redemption. As is said from Isaiah 59.20, A redeemer will come to Zion and, tell, uh, and to them that turn from transgression in Jacob. Okay, so the reason I brought these in is to show how this, this theme is... Um, even in the Psalms, uh, excuse me, the Song of Songs is one of the primary themes of repentance. It's drawing close. It's turning back. It's turning to Hashem. And then, of course, Yeshua's teaching, his gospel message, his good news was what? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand or is on the brink of arrival. So his desire for us was and is that we should repent so that we should come close to Hashem, so that the kingdom would be made manifest. Ani ledodi, vadodi li. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. Elul is when Hashem says to us, return to me, come away, my beloved. Let us be intimate and passionate lovers once again. So why is Song of Songs in the Bible? Again, we said it was an allegory. Um, here are some familiar passages. I'm going to read a few of these, and then I'm going to read some um, from the Art Scroll allegorical translation here. So, Song of Songs 2, 4 says, He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was, you guys can fill it in, his banner over me was, Love. There you go. I mean, if you were a kid raised in the church like I was, you had a little song, and Bag would do his banqueting day, was banner over me is love, right? So you got this. And as a kid growing up, you don't know this comes from the Song of Songs, right? You don't know that. It's just a kid's song. Uh, it's like something somebody made up. But this is actually scripture, and this is how we teach our children scripture. But that comes right from song, uh, the song, the song. I'll just call it the song. Another one in chapter 2, verse 13 says, Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. Okay, it's this call to the bride. Um, chapter 2, verse 16 says, My beloved is mine and I'm his. And this is um, 
a reversal, actually, of what we said earlier. This, the first one, the, the primary one, says, I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. This is exact opposite. This is a, the first time it's introduced is this opposite correlation, where he says, um, my beloved is mine, and I am my beloved's. And then we have a familiar passage in verse 15 that says, Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. I want you to hear a little bit in chapter 5. two different Bibles here, and they're in different places, so hang on just a second. Okay. So, beginning at verse 2, I slept, but my heart was awake, a sound, my beloved is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one, for my head is wet with dew, and my locks with drops of the night. I'd put off my garment, how could I put it on? I'd bathed my feet, how could I soil them? My beloved put his hand to the latch, and my heart was thrilled within me. I rose to open to my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the bolt. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned and gone. My soul failed me when he spoke. I sought him, but I found him not. I called him, but he gave no answer. And then it goes into this really bizarre part here. It says, the watchmen found me as they went about in the city. They beat me. And they bruised me. They took away my veil, those watchmen of the walls. Okay? So this is the hint right here to me that this is an allegory. That this is saying that this is an allegory between Israel and Hashem. Now let me read this part that I read in the art school edition here. I let my devotion slumber. Quite a different start. I let my devotion slumber. In other words, I just sort of let things cool down in my relationship with God. But the God of my heart was awake, a sound, my beloved knocks. He said, open your heart to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfection. Admit me and my head is filled with dew-like memories of Abraham. Spurn me, and I bear collections of punishing rains and exile nights. And I responded, I have doffed my robe of devotion. How can I don it? I have washed my feet that trod your path. How can I soil them? In anger at my recalcitrance, my beloved sent forth my hand from the portal in wrath, and my intestines churned with longing for him. I rose to open for my beloved, and my hands dripped of myrrh of repentant devotion to Torah and God, and my fingers 
flowing with myrrh, to remove the traces of my foolish rebuke from the handles of the lock. I opened for my beloved, but alas, my beloved had turned his back on my plea and was gone. My soul departed at his decree. I sought his closeness, but could not find it. I beseeched him, but he would not answer. They found me. The enemy, uh, the enemy watched me in patrolling the city. They struck me. They bloodied me, wreaking God's revenge on me. They stripped my mantle of holiness from me, the angelic watchman on the wall. Okay? A little bit of difference there, right? Okay. So this is where a lot of us can be at times. I heard uh, a rabbi teaching on something similar the other day. You know, sometimes if I, if I fail Hashem in my relationship, I'm distant from him because I'm ashamed, right? Anybody identify with that? And so we just sort of distance ourselves from Hashem because we're ashamed. But I think the lesson that we're supposed to learn here is when we're distant, when we're ashamed, Hashem's still knocking on the door. And that we need to get our robe on we need to get our sandals on, and then we need to run after him with everything in us. The first knock, that first knock, we need to go running. And so I want us to consider this. I want us to think about this, that this is a time. It doesn't matter where we are in our relationship with Hashem. We don't have to be distant to repent right? We should be repenting every day. We should be turning to what he desires for us. We can be in the closest relationship, but it can always be better. If you're married, you know that, okay? You can have the worst marriage, you can have the best marriage, but wherever you are on the spectrum, it can always be better. And this is what we are working in learning in this month of Elul, in these 40 days leading up to the day that Hashem will judge us on Yom Kippur. And that judgment, God forbid that it would be bad, it should be good. It should be something along the lines of, you have overcome, you are my child, you are the one I want to pour out my love, my mercy, my grace, and my affection towards and so how do we get there? What are we supposed to be doing during this time? There's some t- traditions. And the traditions help us to enter into that r- close relationship. They awaken the heart, awaken the soul, awaken our minds, awaken our passion. They're supposed to anyway. It's whether we let them or not that they can do their work. So as I mentioned from the 2nd of Elul to the 28th, the shofar is sounded every day after morning prayers, except for Shabbat. The Rambam says this custom is to call um, sleepers to awaken and, and designed to rouse us from our complacency. And Rebbe Nachman says that during this time, the spiritual theme of the month of Elul is tikkun habrit. What is that? Tikkun habrit. Tikkun means repair. Habrit, the covenant. 
Okay? So we are working to repair a damaged covenantal relationship. And so we work on this by changing our patterns of behavior, patterns of thinking, and so forth. One of the things that I have to, to work with is just simply my perspective on things. I have to um, recognize that Hashem is a lover. I have to recognize His, his love for me because I know it here, but it has to run that 18-inch mile down to my heart, right? The month of Elul is the season of prayer. We should be taking every advantage of prayer during this month. We have three appointments a day to meet with Hashem, plus any extra we want to give Him. And so I would encourage you to take advantage of this time. Elul is a month for increased charity, okay? There are people that need our giving, okay? So if you have an opportunity to help the guy on the street, if you help a neighbor, help whatever, um, then we should be doing that because our giving, our free um, giving of what we have simply because we love others and we know that Hashem is our provider can make a difference in their lives and it can be a blessing to Hashem. And I'll say this about it. <clears throat> if you have children, don't you like it when your children treat each other well? When they're kind to one another, take care of one another? I mean, even if they don't give you the proper respect, if they respect one another, that's a blessing, you know? And so that's one thing we can do when we give to those less fortunate. The month of Elul is a season for divine mercy and forgiveness. So we should be seeking that and seeking Hashem's mercy, forgiveness, and not be distant from Him. Elul is also a time that we go out of our way to seek forgiveness from others, okay? We want to go into the high holy days with a clear conscience before God and before man. So I would encourage you, if there's relationships that have been damaged in your lives, then work on those. Make them right. Work to make them right. If you can't, you can't. But you, our job is to put forth the effort, right? And <clears throat> this is related to our announcement earlier. It's a time for silakot, the prayers for forgiveness. And they're recited, um, as we said the Sunday before Rosh Hashanah until Yom Kippur, and we're going to be joining with Sha'arei Israel on September 1st. I want to encourage you again to come out. And again, I want to emphasize this point. Elul is when Hashem says to us, return to me. Come away, my beloved. And let us be intimate and passionate lovers once again. Ani l'dodi v'dodi li. So my question I want to leave you with is, questions, how will you enter these days? Will you make use of this special time, or will you let them pass by without another thought of drawing close to the Holy One, blessed be He? I would encourage you to take advantage of the gift that has been placed before you. Simply open your hands and receive it. The King is in the field. Don't miss this amazing opportunity. He's waiting with open arms. 
אני לדודי, ודודי לי. אמן. שבת שלום.